What's up, good people? Thank you for taking the time and listening to the M-W Tactical Podcast. Please, go visit the M-W Tactical store at www.m-wtactical.com forward slash store and help support our efforts by purchasing a shirt or two. If you haven't done so, go follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for M-W Tactical. All right, good people. I want to welcome everyone back to another segment of the M-W Tactical Podcast. And this time, I have the mad scientist who decided to join me again this week. What's going on, Dave? What's up, Mike? Sorry I missed last week. Glad nah, to be back. Man. You know how it go. We all got stuff we got to do. Um, but life is priority over matters of having fun, right? Mm, sometimes. <laughs> That's what it is. That's what it is. Um. Since we didn't shoot anything this past weekend, at least I didn't, because I did the recap of what took place at Low Country last week. And then mm-hmm. also this weekend, we got Tim Heron coming to Augusta, Georgia at Pontucky Gun Club. So it's a pretty action packed weekend for the area, if I say so. It is. Yeah. Tim is. Uh... Grandmaster single stack shooter. Um, he's he should be uh, he should teach a good class, and it's local. Anybody? I don't know if their spots still open or not, but um, be great class to, to get into. There's a few spots left open. I don't know how many, because when I was talking to Travis and Nancy, they both said there was a few spots, but they didn't give specifics like three or four. So are they do, is it a two-day class that they're doing? It's a two-day performance class. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if, if you listen to last week's podcast, there was um, a spot on there with Word on the Streets that I spoke on. Yeah. And it pretty much sounds like he guarantees that your hit factor is going to go up. That's what. Oh, well, like. that's good. What I'm reading, it said everything minus I will guarantee. But you know, I like. But then again, if you really do practice it, it will go up some a little bit at least. Yeah, we have dog noise. Sorry. Like I said, the dog want to get on the training also. I guess. It sounds like <laughs> Steve Anderson's podcast with the dog noise. <laughs> well, you know, he's over in Africa right now. So. <laughs> You know, so right now you're listening to birds, elephants, and monkeys. <laughs> going on. Yeah. So I, I, um, I didn't shoot a match last weekend either, but I went out to the range with a couple guy, a couple local guys, and did a little training class with them. In uh, how'd that go? Oh, so the um, training went pretty well. Um, uh, Dewey and Eli. A um, couple local guys that shoot with us around here at Pine Tucky um, had asked me to, to come out there and, and just do some movement training with them. And um, I just I set up this simple stage with um, it's a 14 round stage with seven targets. And it kind of had like three arrays throughout the whole stage with with different kind of movement techniques. And and I had them shoot the stage um you know, just like you would walking up to a stage at a match, um, you know, you get a little stage briefing, you look at it for five minutes, figure out how you're going to shoot it, 
And then, um, you know, I just started them on the timer and I recorded their time and I was really watching what they were doing movement wise. And, um, you know, didn't, didn't tell them anything about the stage, uh, you know, give them any kind of pointers or anything up front. <clears throat> and then we went back and I, I looked at the time and I, you know, was just kind of analyzing their splits and their movement. And we went back and worked on each of the three little arrays that we had set up. And by the end of the day, we spent maybe about two and a half hours. Um, they ended up on a, a 14 round stage. They ended up cutting four seconds off their time. And uh, I think, let's see, Eli cut, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. One of them cut three seconds off. One of them cut four seconds off on a 14 round stage. They made that much of an improvement. Wow. I was impressed. So, was it just um, leaving early or just it was the way I had it set up? It was a little bit of everything like that. They, I, I gave them so much information and I, I know they're not going to retain it all because it was way too much, but they told me they wanted to work on movement. So we did a little bit of everything, right. a little bit of, uh, you know, le leaving out of a position, coming into a position, um, shooting on the move, um, some riskier, like falling out of, of the fault line um you know while you're engaging targets and all kind of stuff and then they were able to um to pick it up and, and really cut some serious time off off of the little stage we had wow that's that's pretty impressive but but then again when you practice like that and somebody's giving you insight you see it from a different perspective oh yeah you know, oh yeah you know like for me one stage i was looking at and i remember wally was even like Okay, think about it from this way. And then when he talked about it, I was like, wow, that makes more sense. Mm -hmm. But he's done that to me like three or four times already at a match. You know, it's it's nice just to have someone, uh, you know, looking looking at it from the outside. I mean, sometimes just, there's stuff that you just don't notice yourself. And right. It's good to have some secondary input. And, you, you know, speaking of something about shaving your time when you shoot a match you know they got this new stopwatch out called the amg lab commander yeah the and, timer yeah yeah the timer and i think that would be good when clubs actually get up enough funds and they can purchase that because from what i understand if you use it like on with associated with practice score over the bluetooth mm -hmm. um it links up with the um, the pad automatically. So the person that's doing the score pad, all you got to do is hit the clock portion, and it puts the time in that you ran your stage, but also it gives you all your splits from when you first pulled the trigger to the last time you pulled the trigger. Yeah, I have one of those timers, and um, I've, I've played around with it, and I get a lot of benefit from it at a match, at a steel challenge match. Because mm -hmm. you don't have, you know, you shoot each stage five times or whatever, and you don't have to call out the time, and it it brings in the time. But they um, also just released their own app um, that works with the timer through Bluetooth and, and records data, and set you can set up a. Uh, I think it'll it'll show you like. I'm not sure. I, I downloaded the app, but I haven't really experimented with it yet. But it was showing like bar graphs. Um, to where you can like look at changes or, or improvements over, you know, over a certain period of time. It's a great tool. 
um, yeah, being able to record all the data, all your splits and transitions and everything sounds is great. You remember the name of the app? Um, I'll pull it up right now. I think that would be beneficial, you know, especially like because I know you can really use this for dry fire also. When I was reading it, it goes <clears throat> below 0.6 seconds. I think it you can go down to 0.4 if I remember correctly, 0.3 or 0.4, because uh, the two clocks that I got right now, even if I'm doing something with part-time, I can't set it um, below 0.6. Yeah, this this one I think goes down to three um, decimals also. So mm, what? Give me a second. I'll find you. I'll find the name of that app. Yeah. Okay. No problem. So. You know, like I said, that's that's pretty interesting right there. And that's an investment that will help you both, you know, if you shoot a match and you can look at your splits, especially if you record yourself on a stage and then you can actually compare the two and say, okay, I could have done this better or this should have been done differently, you know, after you're looking at it, after you do your analyzing. So a win-win type situation. Definitely. Practice score log. Oh, okay. There it is. Eugene so now, did that one also. Yeah, so now you said, like, if you're doing something, it actually gives you the bar setting, like, improvements or... So it says, yeah, it records your time where you can analyze and compare, compare multiple runs, uh, view stats for your practice sessions, view time charts for selected runs, and... Annotate tag, recorded data and filter by selected tags, export data to Excel for archiving and additional processing. Mm -hmm. um, and he said he's, he's working on more stuff now. Nice. So it's uh, that app is practice score log mm -hmm. and it uh, works directly with the AMG lab timer. Gotcha. Yeah, so like I said, that's another great investment to be perfecting the craft and in a sense of speaking. Yeah, you know, the timers really aren't that expensive. They're like twenty dollars more than than your standard blue timers that we you know we get and everybody has. The pro timer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um I I've enjoyed it. I like my timer. Yeah, um, I know a couple people have one. I have yet to play with one, but I'm gonna go ahead and make a phone call and see if I can get one sent to me. You know how that can go sometimes. But, yeah. But now continuing on with training, um, I had a good discussion a couple of days ago and the talk was on one eye or two. Mm -hmm. So which do you prefer? Cause by shooting a red dot, it is easier to shoot with both eyes open, you know, but Iron sights, do you prefer, or just overall shooting, do you prefer one or two? Just me personally, I always shoot with both eyes open, uh, red dot or iron sights. I I don't really have a problem, you know, focusing on a front sight or, or front and rear sights for irons. I know some people do. Um, I didn't realize when I first started shooting that people closed one eye when they were shooting a pistol. Mm -hmm. I, I just never did it. And, um, some people can 
can shoot very successfully, you know, closing one eye or squinting one eye. Um, I don't know. I think it's it's more of a, a what works for you and how your eyes or or your 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 brain work for you know viewing, looking down a gun, looking at your sights. Um, with a red dot, I think there's really not much of a reason to close one eye though, um, because really you're just target focused the whole time, and you're just putting the dot you know where you want to shoot. Um, I don't know that there's much of a benefit from that, but I know, you know, cause you, you do have a dominant eye. Everyone has a dominant eye and the iron sights can kind of, you know, play tricks with your eyes, um, for some people. Yeah. I know <clears throat> for the longest, and I want to say when I first joined the military, of course I was doing everything with one eye open. And then when we started going to Red Dots and the ACOGs, that's when I started shooting with both eyes open. Because on one of the aim points that we had, you can close the, the far cap and turn your red dot on. And if you keep both eyes open, of course, you know, your vision is going to overlap anyway. Mm -hmm. And that's the time frame when I started shooting with both eyes open. And when I had the conversation with my buddy a few days ago about one or two eyes open, I really had to think about it and was like, do I close one eye or do I keep, hold on, I'll be right back. So I went and got my gun <laughs> and I was like pulling up doing dry fire and I was like, oh yeah, I do it with both eyes open. And I was like, it's just one of those type of things that I really never really paid attention to. It just works for me. And when, even when I thought about it, I think it went back to when we went to the um, red sites. I mean, not the red sites, the red dots and um, mm -hmm. aim points and ACOGs when I was in the Army. It's definitely much easier to shoot a, you know, like a holographic site or a red dot site right. with both eyes open. And I, th I think ideally you would want to shoot with both eyes open, but I, I don't think that everybody's eyes and, and brain really might not necessarily allow it. I know there are people that will, um, you know, they'll close one eye for, for instance, or they'll, some guys will put like a clear, uh, piece of clear tape, um, mm -hmm. over, over their non-dominant eye. So the, so you can still keep both eyes open and get, still get your peripheral vision from both eyes. Right. But I think it helps keep, um, you know, your non-dominant eye from kind of trying to take over, you know, your, your sight focus or, or, or play tricks with you there. Um, I don't, I think that's kind of an individual thing. I don't, I don't know what that's like. Um, I'm fortunate enough, I guess, where I, I can just keep both eyes open and, and use my sights the way they need to be. Yeah. So my next question, your red dot, does it illuminates of course on your open gun yeah so if you was to cover the far side lens with like cardboard tape or whatever and you still shoot it with both eyes open you will still see that overlay like i was talking about with the the aim point or not so, um 
you would see it. I it would it's a projection. They're, they're different. I think what you guys were using were holographic sites, mm -hmm. um, and what I'm using is like a, just an LED that's projected to the little lens that the piece of glass that's in front of it. Right. So they're a little bit different. Um, oh, okay. You if you put something over the front, you really I mean you couldn't aim it with cancels, it. It cancels it out. Yeah, you wouldn't really be able to use it effectively. Gotcha. I don't know. So like I said, it was just a question. <laughs> um, outside of like the two open guns that I did shoot before, you know, the first time I did it, I really couldn't find the dot, but then it felt like I was pointing the gun at the ground when I saw the dot. Mm -hmm. But of course, when I pulled trigger and the steel plate was 25 feet away and I was hitting it, but it really felt like I was pointing the gun down at the ground, how it was set up. It was really weird. And then the next one I shot was Lyndon's open gun, but we were shooting that cardboard and it was doing chrono that day. And the target was only like 10 feet ahead of us. So, yeah. So he's, he has an Atlas chaos. Nice mm -hmm. gun, nice gun from Adam at Atlas custom gun works. Right. And, and that's just a, it could be a number of things that the, the grip angle, you know, could be a little bit different than what you're used to. The optic mount could, could, you know, it's, it could have a little bit of angle to it. And it's also higher than, than iron sights on a pistol. So, so your index with iron sights that you're accustomed to may not work with it, with a red dot. Um, right. Cause you, you're going to, you're going to have the gun up probably a little bit higher mm -hmm. than, than you would need to, to see the red dot properly until, you know, just until you got used to it, if you were working at that. Gotcha. I got you on that one. So let's just happen to say we done took a couple training classes. All right. Whoever it can be from Steve Anderson, Tim Heron, um, whoever. Kita Bussy. I'm taking a yeah. class with Kita Bussy in a couple weeks. Oh, oh, wow. That's going to be interesting right there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm curious to hear about how that one's going to go. But let's just say after all these training classes, um, and of course, we do draw fire in all these classes. Mm -hmm. What's after draw fire? What's the next thing after, you know, what do you think is the next after that? Uh, I, I always feel, I mean, you, you have to try and, and hopefully – at these classes you have taken notes um and and you can try to implement some of these things that you've learned at the classes mm -hmm. um you know you're gonna really kind of just pick one thing at a time i i think it would be the best approach where you're struggling the most with whatever area that is if it's i don't know shot calling or or if it's movement or if you know whatever part of shooting that you're struggling with the most. I think that's where you need to focus your attention and, and hopefully, you know, you've got some pointers on that from the class and, and some stuff you can go back to and look at and, and, and practice and yeah. um, make, make it a strength, whatever it is that um, you're struggling with right now in shooting practice it until it becomes a strength for you or it's no longer a hindrance at least and then you can move on to the next thing. 
Now, this was the same conversation I had with my buddy who lives in Atlanta with one eye or two eye. Mm-hmm. And what I told him, I don't think there is anything else after dry fire because to me, in my personal opinion, it just makes a complete circle. Because even when you dry fire, you're still working on the basics, you know, grip on the gun, pulling it out the holster, you know, sight pitch or sight alignment, your basic fundamentals all together. And then everything else you're going to incorporate with that, you know, um, transitioning from target to target movement. If you throw that in your dry fire. But when I was explaining to him, the only time I practice movement with my firearm is when I'm at the range. I never really practice movement at home. Mm-hmm. And Wally said something to me about three weeks ago about incorporating movement into my dry fire. But I've done it three times since we had that conversation. But I know I have to do it in order to get better. But right now, I still feel like I haven't mastered the basics on the level that I'm at right now as far as just dry firing. Yeah, well, I agree with you. I don't think that dry fire is a a linear kind of progression. I mean, you're not going to go buy a gun, take a class, dry fire, and then go win the national championship. Um, (laughs) It's always, you know, there's always something else to work on. And and dry fire is is a way to kind of supplement, you know, your practice when you can't get to the range and, 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 you know, put – put rounds down range, uh, the dry fire, you can work on, you know, most everything that we do, you can, you can practice for the most part in dry fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and movement is, you it can be done dry fire too, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. If you're not, if you don't feel like you're ready for that, if you're still, you know, have some more things you want to work on stationary, right. um, it wouldn't hurt to just throw in a couple little movement drills here and there. But, um, yeah, I mean, that, that just, that comes once you've, once you've mastered or feel like you've mastered all your, you know, your, your standard stationary stuff, then, then you just start working in movement a little bit here and there. A lot of times when I go to a practice session and we actually shoot, when movement is in there, I, I, I feel out of place. Yeah, because it's something I don't practice all the time. And the only time I really practice movement is when I'm on the range, whether it's a match or a practice session that is live. So, yeah, shooting on the move is is a lot different than standing there in your room, dry firing it, you know, targets hanging on the wall. Um, but it's it's just like anything else when when you put the new grip on the gun you know it took you a couple weeks i think you said to get used to that once you start working your your movement um you know when if you get you're just it's it's just another thing like anything else that we do with shooting you're going to get accustomed to it accustomed to the shooting on the move part and then it won't feel so out of place when you go to the match and you're doing it And it literally took me um, 
about three and a half weeks to get used to that hand grip because the last match at Low Country, I felt very comfortable with it. It was like, okay, mm. I'm back. <laughs> Good. But yeah, I mean, any anything like that is it, it the goal is you know for it to become subconscious and and you know that was just a, a, a gear change there but but even that it, it changes a lot of what you've been working on as far as your draw goes i know drawing the gun felt different every time you pulled it out of the holster it had to bring it bringing up your you know getting your sight picture was different because you got more weight on the gun now everything was different but now it's subconscious. You don't think about it. You're doing what you need to do with that heavier grip. And, and, and movement is the same kind of thing. It's just something that when you feel like you're ready to start working on it, it, it will get there and become subconscious. And then it just happens. That's just the way you shoot. All right. So um, right now we're going to go ahead and press forward and stay tuned for the interview we're going to have. Um, later on in the show with Tim Heron. Um, but here are some words from our sponsors. Hey, this is Brian Conley at Hunter's HD Gold. If you've never tried Hunter's HD Gold, then I challenge you to find me at a match next year. Go to the website under scheduled events, find out where I'm going to be. Come meet me in person and demo a pair for yourself. Find out why shooters across the United States are changing the Hunter's HD Gold to get 43% more light to their eyes, better contrast, eyes that are not fatigued at the end of the day based on the, the colors that we use, and find out the real meaning of why they change so you don't have to. So check us out on our website, huntershdgold.com, and I look forward to seeing you at the range soon. What's up, good people? Thank you for taking the time and listening to the M-W Tactical Podcast. Please, go visit the M-W Tactical store at www.m-wtactical.com forward slash store and help support our efforts by purchasing a shirt or two. If you haven't done so, go follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for M-W Tactical. The gun cleaners. Our solvent is, I think, second to none. Our lube is second to none. Their lube's heavier than water, which is just a huge thing. People don't really put a lot of thought into that, just how huge that is to have on your gun, especially if you can still carry. The gun cleaners. Oh, yeah, most definitely. You know, you're going to sweat a lot of the other lubes off. With ours, it'll stay there. The gun cleaners. And maintaining the quality of the process, the quality of the end result, is another, and you guys are able to do both with the process that you have there. Order your supply of the lube and the solvent at www.theguncleaners.com. Now we're going to go ahead and jump into a little bit of word on the 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 battle at the beach is taking place 23 through 25 April. There are a few slots left, and if you contact the match director, Mike Fritz, at www.lowcountryuspsa.com, he will point you in the right direction to getting you to shooting Battle at the Beach. As of right now, the following current sponsors for Battle at the Beach are Red Hill Tactical, Red Stitch Targets, The Blue Bullets, Akai Custom Firearms, Hunter HD Gold, Outdoor Dynamics, Lucky Shot Firearms, 
Dunham Smithing, Law Offices of McLeod Ruffner, Premier Hearing Protection, Shooter's Connection, Lead Star Arms, Safari Land, Springfield Armory, Competition Electronics, Hornady, Mad Marlin Guns, Lock Grips, Techwear, Steel Target Paint, Mark Prickett Target Stands, Midway USA, with more to be added. Visit www.lowcountryuspsa.com for more information. Kevin Dixie is hosting his second annual Teach and Learn event. It's a three-day event taking place on Memorial Day weekend, 22 through 24 May, in Lettington, Missouri, for those who are looking to become more involved in the shooting industry in some way. For those interested, you can sign up by going to eventbrite.com and searching NOC Second Annual Train and Learn Event. For those of you who are familiar with Tim Heron, he will be giving a two-day class at the Pine Tucky Gun Club in Augusta, Georgia on 7 through 8 March. All classes and levels of shooters are welcome. At a minimum, shooters must be competent at gun handling and manipulation, able to clear their own malfunctions, and able to follow range safety rules. This is a fast-paced, intensive two-day class. Tim will watch you run a stage and give you personalized feedback and drills to work on, and by the end of day two, your hit factor will increase by a significant amount. He is all about efficiency, cutting time, and choosing stage strategies that are faster and more efficient. He also follows up after the class with each individual to offer suggestions for their continued training. For those interested in signing up for this class, contact Nancy Grunet by phone at 803-206-1708. We encourage everyone to go out and do some training with your firearm and just get familiar with and what you feel you need to work on to get better with it. For those of us who are into competition, please share the information of your club and your shooting event in your area so we can share the message. There are a number of level two matches for those serious enthusiasts in competition shooting in USPSA. There are too many to name, but if you head on over to USPSA.org and click on the matches tab, you will see the many level two and level three matches that are being hosted around the nation. Another great resource is going to matchsignup.org and click on major matches and you will see the various matches that are being offered as well. Sign up for the higher ranked matches and let's keep the momentum going for the sport. This Saturday, if you're in the South Carolina area, registration is open for those who are interested in doing some USPSA action in both Charleston, South Carolina and Spartanburg, South Carolina. Head on over to practice score for those who are interested in shooting in Charleston, South Carolina, look up PGC or Palmetto Gun Club. And for those interested in shooting in Spartanburg, South Carolina, look up SPSA. Sign up and let's have some fun doing some shooting USPSA style. If you would like for me and the crew to come out and shoot a USPSA match with you, email us at info at m-wtactical.com and let's plan it out. The gun cleaners. Our solvent is, I think, second to none. Our lube is second to none. Their lube's heavier than water, which is just a huge thing. People don't really put a lot of thought into that, just how huge that is to have on your gun, especially with concealed carry. 
the gun cleaners. Oh, yeah, most definitely. You know, you're going to sweat a lot of the other lubes off. With ours, it'll stay there. The gun cleaners. And maintaining the quality of the process, the quality of the end result, is another. And you guys are able to do both with the process that you have there. Order your supply of the lube and the solvent at www.theguncleaners.com. Hey, this is Brian Conley at Hunter's HD Gold. If you've never tried Hunter's HD Gold, then I challenge you to find me at a match next year. Go to the website under scheduled events, find out where I'm going to be. Come meet me in person and demo a pair for yourself. Find out why shooters across the United States are changing the Hunter's HD Gold to get 43% more light to their eyes, better contrast, eyes that are not fatigued at the end of the day based on the, the colors that we use, and find out the real meaning of why they change so you don't have to. So check us out on our website, huntershdgold.com, and I look forward to seeing you at the range soon. What's up, good people? Thank you for taking the time and listening to the M-W Tactical Podcast. Please, go visit the M-W Tactical store at www.m-wtactical.com forward slash store and help support our efforts by purchasing a shirt or two. If you haven't done so, go follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for M-W Tactical. This week, we're going to have a discussion with Tim Heron. Yes, the same Tim Heron who has many competition wins under his belt and travels around the country teaching his techniques. From this conversation, you can gather the pride and dedication in his teachings and someone who really cares about you doing very well at a competition match. Check out this conversation with Tim Heron. All right, good people. Welcome back to the M-W Tactical Podcast. And we have a special interview for this week. So up first, I want to introduce somebody who I shoot with regularly here in the Columbia area, Columbia, South Carolina area, that is. And to me, this guy is very comical. And at the same time, he is very knowledgeable, you know. So I call I him yeah, I, I call him from time to time. And asks various questions, and he always dedicates his time to answer these questions and help me out in any type of way. So, I want to welcome Travis Pew Pew Crane to the oh God, that name. <laughs> What's going on, Travis? What's going on, man? Yeah, not too much. Not too much. Um, gonna have a, like a little interesting conversation because you and I have been talking for the past three hours. Yes, alone. we have. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So. Moving forward, the next person I want to introduce, this is her second time on the M-W Tactical Podcast, and it would have been the third time, but right now we're just going to stick with the second time. It's a long story, <laughs> right? So once again, we want to bring Nancy Grunet to the M-W Tactical Podcast. How are you doing today, Nancy? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me back. Hey, no problem, no problem. Actually, you had a, a pretty interesting weekend up in Belton, uh, um, Belton, South Carolina. Oh, yeah. I'm glad the scores got fixed because when they first came out, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you was on that squad then? Yeah, I was on that oh, squad. Oh, yeah. She uh, took the tablet. Yeah. No, I was going to no, go ahead and say she took it. it. 
yeah. You're, you're that person then, right? Yeah. No, I did not. No, 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 no. It was <laughs> you not already me. agreed no, to it. It's not you're me taking the tablet home. You're it. <laughs> <laughs> but I did have the heart attack when I first looked at my results, and I was like, what? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, All right, so now pushing forward to the last stretch of the interview, the man of the hour. Dun, dun, dun. The man that so many people <laughs> have heard about. In all regards, I will say that I am shooting the Area 6 match with this guy. Awesome. So it's going to be fun. So right now, for the first time, I want to welcome Tim Heron to the M-W Tactical Podcast. How you doing, Tim? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, no problem. No problem. Now, Moving into the interview after that formal introduction <laughs> that we just experienced. <laughs> All right. So first, I want to bring in Travis and Nancy and ask them both. There are a lot of instructors out there that are teaching um, the practical performance for IDPA, USPSA, and any other type of competition shooting that they want. So what made y'all decide to go to Tim and say, hey, we want you to teach this class to people who, who are interested. Which one do, Nancy? I can well, do it or you can do it. Because <laughs> I, I took it last year and I learned a ton. I, I learned a lot. My level of understanding of things <clears throat> went, you know, from A to Z. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm still learning, obviously, but I've just reflect back on where I was last year and how I, I understood things. And it's just very different. Um, Building your skills, a whole nother story, but uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you for that too, by the way. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Travis, what's your take? Okay. Um, yeah, this is going to be a little long-winded. Um, <laughs> Paraphrase. I'll, I'll try. Um, there are a couple of reasons why I picked Tim. Um, I've listened to Tim talk for a long time um, from his original podcast and everything else he's done from there. Um, it's hard to, to listen – well, it's not hard. It's easy to pick up when someone is just going through motions, right? When when someone is just just talking to talk or just, you know, saying what needs to be said. And then there are people that you find are very passionate about a sport or passionate about a thing. And, you know, you can pick through that BS pretty quick. And when you hear Tim talk and when I've heard Tim talk about things, you can tell his passion and his love for the sport. Mm -hmm. Um I went to the first my first Tim Heron class with Nancy last year, and I knew nothing about it other than Tim was teaching it. And in that, once I got there, and he was as advertised, one of the nicest guys in USPSA, and knowledgeable, and cared about the sport. Um, in that, I, I, you know, I knew this was the guy that one is going to take me further, you know, and I'm, I'm going to keep using, and the guy that um, I want to introduce to other people. I, I think he does amazing things for the sport. I think the way he teaches and the way he handles people is just outstanding. I mean, there's nobody I trust with a new shooter, old shooter, anything more than I would trust him. So that's that's why I wanted him in this area. Wow. Wow. Look wow. at that. Wow. Wow. I, I think he's blushing. Ah, he is. He is. Right there. <laughs> impressive right there. All right. So now let's back up a little bit, okay, and bring it to you, Tim. Um who is Tim Heron? Uh well, he's a, of he's, all a, your he's a five foot five hundred and forty-three pound guy from originally from the Midwest. Um, kind of born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, 
and and lived here, lived in Kansas City all the way up till what about a year and a half ago now, um, and decided to relocate uh, permanently to Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I, I now reside in Albuquerque. Um, I took up practical shooting. Um, actually, I took up just shooting. Period. Uh, for the first time back in like February of 2010. So I honestly, I mean, like in the grand scheme of things, I haven't been shooting. You know, I'm not one of those guys like, well, I've been shooting since I was five years old or, you know, I shot, I've been shooting in the sport since I was, you know, a junior shooter or anything. I mean, I, I, I started out, uh, God, I was 30, 31, 32 years old when I, I started shooting. Um, and, and I, I got into the sport. Actually, I got to get into just pistol shooting. It's, it's like a lot of people do, you know, just to kind of learn to better defend myself you know, and, and my family, um, you know, just kind of one thing, you know, learning turned into kind of a hobby, turned into a passion, turned into, uh, just this, like a, a life for me, um, of shooting. I've been a, an automotive technician, geez, all of, almost all of my adult life, um, which Travis can, uh, Travis can relate to that. God. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, so, I mean, I, I was the guy that, that picked this up as a hobby, you know, um, and picked up practical shooting. I started shooting USPSA about, about three months, four months after I picked up a pistol for the first time. And uh, I just was very, very fortunate along the way to meet uh, great people that, that kind of, you know, took me by the hand and sometimes by the shirt collar and kind of led me or drug me the, you know, the, the, the good directions. So, you know, unfortunately, there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, like, well, I picked up a gun and learned how to shoot. And I'd learned from three other people that didn't really know how to shoot and taught me. And, you know, I didn't have to unlearn a lot of like really bad, really bad things. Um, I did have to, you know, I did have to unlearn a few things like, and how to, how to train um, and, and how to kind of how to teach myself and, and reach for outside help, you know, kind of along the way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't start this sport, you know, and just jump into like being a grandmaster or, you know, somebody that picked up a gun for the first time. And five months later, they're, you know, some sort of Insta famous, you know, shooting celebrity or anything like that. I, I, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I tell people this and voice this to students all the time that, you know, I, I started and I've been every step along the way where every individual student has been at some point in time or another in my career. You know, uh, so I, I think I, I have a really good, you know, a, a really good opportunity or a really good way of being able to relate to a shooter having struggles or having plateaus because, hey, man, I've been there, you know, like I, I know what it took me to get out of that. Let me help you with that. Let me show you. So um, I started shooting. I started teaching shooting uh, back in 2015, uh, late 2015, early 2016. And then I made the kind of the switch to doing this full time as my as my career now um, and quit a 22 year profession in automotive to um, to pursue teaching full time. And this is now we're, we're just beginning year number two as right. a uh, as a time instructor, firearms instructor. Nice. So now <clears throat> you actually stated that you went through the trials and tribulations of everybody went through. Okay. So when did you realize that teaching was your calling? Ah, uh, honestly, before shooting, um, I feel like I kind of got my chops 
as a teacher or as a, or as a, an instructor or as an educator, um, before I picked up shooting for years, I raced sports cars, uh, with like sports car club, of America, SCCA. Um, and I did a lot of autocross and track days and things like that. And it, it was kind of one of those, again, a kind of a sport that I just, I was really passionate about and, and grew to just, to, I, I, I couldn't envelop myself within this, you know, more. Um, and, and again, kind of that's in that, uh, in that realm or in that sport, I took some instruction, some formal instruction just to, you know, to learn, to become a better, a better race car driver. Um, that turned into a, an opportunity to be kind of an adjunct instructor for a, a driving school that I actually then started working on a, on a much more continued basis with, um, for a few years, got starting back in like 2000. 2003, 2004. And then I taught with the uh, evolution performance driving school as a teacher, um, all the way up until I kind of got out of racing in about 2010, uh, which is funny. I, I got out of racing and then immediately picked up shooting pistols and it <laughs> turned into, it <laughs> turned into a, something I, I became quite passionate about. Um, but yeah, I, so I was given an opportunity to, to kind of teach, um, a, a really, very close, wonderful friend of mine, uh, by the name of Ann Hollis and her husband, Andy, uh, they teach out of uh, Austin, Texas, and they were teaching a, a racing class one, one weekend. And Ann was like, what the hell are you doing taking the class as a student? Like, get your butt in the car and I'm going to sit in the back seat and just kind of listen to you. I want you to convey this information to a, another race car driver and, or to another student. And that, like, apparently she saw something in me that uh, she thought would, you know, I would make a, a pretty good teacher. And it's something I've always liked to do and never really knew I had the, <laughs> you know, like I, like I never really knew I had the, you know, the, the will or, 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 you know, the, the gumption to do it until she kind of, you know, kind of threw me into the, threw me to the wolves, so to speak. And uh, that was awesome. And for me, I loved that and fell in love with educating got tenfold more than actually competing, whether it was race car driving or whether it now like within shooting, you know, and being able to share knowledge and the successes that I see in students, whether it be, Hey, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't fall apart on this stage or, Hey, I did this drill really well, or, Oh my God, I shot the best match I've ever shot, you know, and when they get things or, you know, like they might've struggled with something and they just get it for the first time, that aha moment, you know, or that light bulb that goes on. Like to me, that means more to me than any area championship I could win or national title or anything else. I just like, I, I just, I love teaching probably more than any, anything else. Wow. So your story almost sounds a little bit like my story, but <clears throat> the instruction bug didn't come to me until I was a drill sergeant. You know, and it, like when it hit me, I was like, OK. And then, of course, later on in my military career, then it pushed on to firearms, which mm -hmm. started M-W Tactical and teaching various people how to do various, um, you know, things revolved around firearms. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's pretty <clears throat> interesting, hmm. like how that kind of path kind of lined up like that. Yeah. In more ways than one. All right, so now let me ask you this, Travis and Nancy, oh moving it over to y'all too. All right, so now 
what was the the most important aspect of Tim's class that y'all pulled out of it? Starting with you, Travis. Oh, start with me. Okay, all right. Um, I, I've talked about this before, and it went on way too long and killed another podcast. But let me see how I can. <laughs> down <some more>. um, <laughs> um, okay. Um, uh, Tim explained something, and he he did it more in passing, but I really caught on to it. Was the the process and how your brain and your eyes can eventually catch up to things, right? If you do this, and how the process works, and how you can. Uh, how your mind and your eye will, will compute it faster, you know, and then basically things will speed up, but you will speed up, but it, your, your perception doesn't. Right. And, and that's, that's what I picked up from it was that, listen, you know, if I work these drills, if I work these transitions, if I work this shooting right now, I feel out of control at a certain speed. Eventually my mind and I will catch up and I'll be, you know, it, it, it you know, it just becomes more, uh, uh, I don't know how to put it. Smooth. Basically, it, it becomes something that I can do, and I don't feel like I'm trying to push the gun out of control. I'm not shooting past my limits. My limits are moving with my mind and with my eyes and with, you know, how the process is working with me. If that made any sense whatsoever. Yeah, so there we go. It made right. total sense to me because you stole my answer. I had the exact same experience. Sucks to go second, doesn't it? And, I have, and I have, I'm trying to chase it for a year. Mm -hmm. I had... And shooting, like, I don't know, maybe the second or third time I shot the stage, for the listeners, what Tim will help you do is shoot everything more e efficiently and shoot with your eyes and shoot the process. Like, this is what Travis is saying. I had an, uh, like, almost like a Brian Enos kind of epiphany thing. Like, everything happened in super slow motion, but it was super fast and it was awesome. And I just shot the shit out of whatever that little array was. And I've never done it since. And I, I keep trying to, and Travis will tell you, I want to shoot more um, outcome focused, I guess, than shoot the process. I'm tr always trying to capture that back again. <laughs> that is where I'm at. And he laughs at me because, yes, it's, it's so oh, true. Oh, yeah. It's so <laughs> true. And your answer was my answer. Exactly. And I know we probably aren't making sense to a lot of people out there, but yeah. Okay. All right, so now you help us bottle that, Tim. Yeah, that's it's bottle that. We're gonna ensure that it sticks. Okay. All right. Okay. So now, um, <laughs> funny thing is, is this is what happened to me yesterday. You at, had one I'm, of those moments. Yes, in Belton, South Carolina, <laughs> at um, Belton Gun Club. All right. So whichever stage it was, I think it was stage four, the one we was talking about earlier with the tunnel. Yes. Right? Yes. When I did that stage, I felt like I was going <clears throat> slow. Exactly. You know, but when I got finished, everybody was saying like, man, you was, you blazed that one. That was, looked really good. And I was like, oh, I thought it was slow, you know, but I didn't like dwell on it or anything like that. Cause you know, I captured it on video and I said, I'll check it out later. I haven't downloaded it yet, but eventually I will. But just hearing y'all talk, that was the same moment I had. But I didn't let it overtake me. I didn't let it like, oh, what is going on here? I just kind of went with it, you know. But at the same moment, I do felt like I possibly could have pushed myself a little bit more. Were you following just solely your eyes? Were your, were your eyes just leading everything? That's what my experience felt like. My eyes were just leading everything. I was mainly focusing, like choking that front sight post with my eyes. That's the way I would like illustrated that's, that's a good description 
Mm-hmm. Wait, no, I was choking it with my <laughs> eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't kill that front sight. Yeah. So what's your, I'll give you an explanation of what you hear about that. Tom. So, so I know what, uh, what they're getting at and it's something, I mean, that's, that's like my mantra. If there ever was one of like what, what Tim Heron shooting, you know, practical performance is, is process over results or outcome. Right. And just like there is with anything that we do, uh, you know, we as humans, we're extremely outcome focused or, or very results driven, right? Like we don't go to the range. We don't go and shoot a match with the, just with the, with like the explicit thought that I'm just going to go to the match today and I'm just going to shoot. I'm just going to grip the gun. I'm just going to manage my sights and I'm just going to shoot. Right. There, there generally is always some underlying result or outcome that we're trying to, to we're trying to gain. Right. So 95 percent of the time we're, we're driving along, we're going to the range and, you know, we're going to the match and we're, we're thinking like, man, I hope that there is X, Y or Z because I've been practicing X, Y and Z and man, I'm ready to kill it. Right. Or we get there and we we think, you know, oh, man. If so-and-so doesn't show up, I've got a really good chance of either winning my class or winning my division or winning overall at the match or, oh, crap, they showed up. Man, my, my game's going to be ruined today, right? Or or we step yeah. into we, we step up to a stage and we happen to look at a stage and we're like, ah, man, strong hand only or weak hand only shooting? God, I hate that kind of stuff. Like your, your, your life is constantly revolving around an outcome of how you play things out in your mind that you want to have happen instead of what it should be is based on the process, right? The process is, is it should be as as simple as if I do my job to step up to the line and draw my gun, grip it, you know, accordingly and manage my sight picture for every shot fired, the results will just happen. Right. I what, what we can't do is we can't predict or we can't we can't influence somebody else's execution of a stage or we can't we can't affect their results in a match. But the problem is, is we let their results immediately drive or dictate what it is we want to do instead of just simply ad- adhering to a process. And that process should be I want to call every shot. I want to see the sights for every shot, not just see the sights for every target, but see the sights for every single shot that I'm going to place on, on target. Right. So, I mean, everybody here on this panel right now, if we were out of the range together and I said, you know what? I want everybody to draw their gun and take as much time as needed to press the trigger and shoot one a zone hit to a 25 yard target. There's not one single person in the group of four of us that, that couldn't do that. Would you agree? I agree. I agree. Right. So then why would we do it under time or why when we do it in a match, do we miss? The stress and the process of failure. It's stress or the result or the, 
or, or the fear of failure, fear. which is which is a result or it's an outcome. So you're basing your performance solely on what outcome you wish to expect or you wish to derive from it instead of just stepping up to the line, disregarding what you think that timer that the that the RO is holding in his hand means versus what it actually is and just executing the way you know how to execute right? The reason that stage that you shot today probably went fantastic and you feel like maybe I could have pushed a little harder was because you were probably pushing or probably shooting just to your absolute capacity for what you can, what you can execute in that moment, basing everything on a process, right? right. I, I know I want to get to this position. I know I want to place the sights in front of this target, this target, this target, this target. I want to see the sights lift here, 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 and here when I press, when I press the trigger, right? And then from there, I'm going to move to this next position and I'm going to start that process all over again. You know, that, that being said too, if you were to have missed, or even if you whiffed a shot past a piece of steel or something like that, you didn't let that affect you in your in, in your mental capacity to to change your process into like oh crap I miss that steal or oh crap I hit that no shoot or dang it I had to take an extra shot over on this target now I need to push or try or hurry to try to you know I, I use air quotes here to make mm -hmm. up time right, right. no right. you were just as soon as the buzzer went off, you drew the gun and started just sticking to what you've trained and what you've practiced to do, which is call every shot, grip the gun, watch the sights, press the trigger, rinse, repeat. That's process driven versus outcome driven. Outcome driven is when we miss a target or we have to take a makeup shot or we have a, a, a misfire or we have a magazine that doesn't fall out of the gun for those of us that shoot those bottom feeder guns, you know. Or, or Travis has a, let, let, you know, let's say he goes to eject a cylinder and, you know, a moon clip doesn't come out. And so he's stuck there trying to stick his fingers in and, and drag that, that moon clip of, you know, of empty cartridges out or empty casings out to then, you know, and let's say he misses the reload. So then what's he do? You think like, oh, crap. Now I've really got to, you know, like you, you start hammering the trigger faster. You try trying to shoot beyond your level of speed or beyond your level of 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 a process or competence to shooting a, you know, like to try to make up time that's being results processed mm -hmm. or results driven. And when you're results driven, what typically happens, you add insult to injury and you either, you, mm -hmm. you miss a position or you have three extra makeup shots on a target where you shouldn't have, or you, you rushed and hurried the next trigger press. And now you've shot a, a no shoot or you've caught, you know, you caught a piece of hard cover or you shot the wall or, you know what I mean? It could be a, a, a number of different things. And that's because you let a result dictate your performance instead of your performance being dictated solely by your process. And if more shooters understood their process and just adhered to it or, or just latched onto it and just shot process driven, I, I would almost be out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you know the mental discipline it takes to do that is absolutely is yes is something mm -hmm. that i'm learning and i'm also learning it's also attached to your skill level if uh, sure. i am if i am in the middle of learning something and um i do it right i'm it's easier for me to shoot the process mm -hmm. or um if i don't do it right then i get in my head and you know 
Um, or actually, if I do it right, it's easier for me to mess it up because I did what you just said yesterday at the match. There was these two 35-yard mini poppers, and I took each one single shot, and I went, woohoo! And then it was all over. I missed the next Exactly, part. because you immediately started to reward yourself based yes. on a result exactly. instead of just like, nope, okay, of course that's going to happen. I saw the sights. I called the shot. I'm moving on, right? And but instead, yeah, right. But steel is something, and Travis will tell you, that I'm working on right now. So it was hard for me to just go in the flow and just shoot the process because steel's a thing for me right now. Right. Um, so it, it's it's a very much a very mental discipline. Part of that process too is also yeah. remaining as emotionless as you possibly can oh, yes. while you're shooting, right? Because an emotion is, again, it's a result. It's an outcome. Mm -hmm. And it it changes you know, like your outcome or that result changes based on what emotion you're trying to incorporate into or past your shooting process. You know, if I can remain as emotionless as possible and just shoot dictated solely by, again, my grip pressures on the gun and my ability to watch the sights, I'm, I'm golden. So how um, do you, I have a question for you. How do you, um, like the chatter, you know, the chatter in the squad, uh -huh. And everybody's complaining about it's a weekend only stage and this sucks and what circus is this and blah blah. How do you how do you like when you when you're up to bat, kind of wash all that away? A lot of it. A, a lot of it again. Yes, it's it's mental discipline. It's 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 discipline to know not to get wrapped up in that, right? I mean, and everybody, every single person here could tell you today that they shot with somebody who was captain negative. Whether it be about a certain array or, oh, I don't like that lean or, oh, man, that's close to breaking a 180 or, right? Everybody's got their complaint, the thing that they hated about the match or the thing they hated about that particular stage. And you just have to let that, like, for me, a lot of it is just having the mental fortitude when I step up to a stage and, I, and even just walking a stage, right, and, and I'm doing my walkthrough. Having the mental fortitude to look at a target or look at an array or look at the entire stage and go, huh, there's not a single target here that I couldn't hit on will. Hmm. Right? Or at will. Like, you know, like, oh, man, that that 15-yard, you know, half-covered, you know, no-shoot covering that target, psh, big deal. I can, of course I can hit that, right? And, and I'm going to hit that in the time that it takes me to hit that. What I'm not going to do is I'm not going to rush or think about time. You know, I'm not going to think about like, oh, well, crap, Travis shot that, you know, with like a 30 split with a revolver. If he could do that with a revolver, I easily got to be able to hammer a 20 split, you know, shooting a 1911 or something or something ridiculous like that. Right. That I'm, I'm making that performance about the outcome instead of like, OK, cool. Travis shot it in, in a 30 split. Maybe he got lucky. You know what? Maybe I shoot it in 40. He got me by a 10th of a second on that little bit right there, you know, but what I can't do is I can't let Travis's performance. I can't let Nancy's performance. I can't let Michael's performance dictate my performance. My performance is solely dictated on my ability to remain calm, remain as emotionless as possible, avoid chatter or whether it, and sometimes it's not even avoiding the chatter. Sometimes it's just putting that, like, it's just having, again, that mental fortitude to know if somebody else is bitching about it, for me, that that drives me 
Like if they say, oh, God, I hate stronghand or I hate standards or, God, 50 yards? We only have a seven-second part time to shoot 50 yards? I look at that and be like, ha, 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 bring it on. <laughs> like that's that's where I'm going to beat them. If they're already beating themselves mentally before yeah. they've even stepped up to the step up to the stage to shoot it, I'm already five steps ahead of them. You know, normally when I hear people talking negative like that on the range, as soon as I hear it, I just walk away. Sure. Because, because I honestly think like if as soon as they say it, I will focus more on the the absolutely everybody does or when they come off the stage and they're like ah oh, man you know did, did, did I, I can't believe that i had three mics on that why on earth would that be your first thing to even focus on on the stage i don't care if i had seven mics on a stage but the first thing i'm going to coach myself or the first thing i'm going to do when i'm done focusing on my process even as maybe failed or flawed or something in my process, I let go of something, right? And so I, I ended up having a mental failure or two or three or whatever. I'm still going to come off the stage and I'm going to find the best thing I did on that stage. And that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to reflect on, period. You know, like, man, I had a mic or I, I pulled a no shoot on that, but it's also having the, like the self-awareness or self-diagnosis of, I know why that happened. And I know how to fix it or keep it from happening next time. Next time. Right. Yeah. But even if I'm like, yep, I pulled off on that and I pulled a no shoot as I was leaving that position. I might think about that for a split second, just to self-diagnose, self-assess what needs to be corrected for that for the future. But the next thing I'm going to, the next thing I'm going to think about is like, yeah, but God dang, did you see how awesome that reload was getting from that position to the next position? And I had the gun up ready to shoot like three steps before I got to that position, you know, to that next position. And I was shooting into that, that next array. Like that was baller, you know, and that's, that's what I want to latch on to. I, I don't like the negatives. If the negative happens, the negative happened. That's it. It's done. It's over. I don't want to dwell on it. Do I want to start taking a little bit of the positives? Sure. Because that still helps drive just your, your self-evaluation process and your confidence level. But what you don't want it to do is it can also have the adverse effect of making you a little overconfident. So just like in your case today, you know, you're like, yeah, I felt like I could have gone a little bit faster. No. What you should be saying is, yeah, I shot that great. Maybe I could have gone a little faster, but then there should be the little micro voice that says, nope. Actually, you shot that just to your absolute ability. You were able to perform the way you needed to perform on that stage right there. <laughs> right. I, yeah. I'm laughing because you can't see, but Travis is pointing at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So now let me ask you this. Um, speaking on the Mon study, and I've always found it very fascinating when it comes to the study of the Mon and performance. Uh -huh. And being in the military, this is something that was always harped upon on every level. So it didn't matter if you was infantry or if you was a cook. It was always performance on thinking. All right. So now, how do you look at self-image in relation to shooting competition? Well, self-image is extremely important. Like I said, I, I think self-image starts with having the confidence, knowing that you've put in the work, right, in your practice, it's not about just going to the range and setting up targets at seven yards, all open targets, because that doesn't, that doesn't inspire much confidence in you if you go to a stage or go to a match and there's a 25-yard 
headshot only target. It's right. So you first need to do the preparation ahead of time so that when you go to a match, you're not surprised or not negatively influencing your, your mindset based on something like, ah, man, I, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in that, right? Like everything we want to be, we want to be as confident as we can. What we don't though, is we don't want to force a negative or a false confidence because that just sets yourself up for failure the same way as not having enough confidence, right? So if you go to the range and all you practice is seven yard stuff, that's all open targets. And then you go to a match, it's the false confidence of saying like, there's not a target out here. I can't hit because I prepared for it by shooting open seven yard targets at blazing rates of fire. You're just lying to yourself, right? So subconsciously, even, you know, man, I can have the greatest confidence in the world, but if I'm not prepared, like I've not put myself in a situation to really have to either self-evaluate or prepare myself in, in such a way to build like actual true confidence in it. You can, you can try to lie to yourself all you want, but you know, come game day, that, that just, again, that, that little bitty voice in the back of your ear, it's going to be like, man, you know, you haven't practiced for this stuff. Why are you lying to yourself? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's it. So, um, I don't have that voice. So I'm all right. <laughs> Travis has no filter. I have no filter and no inner, inner voice telling me anything other than I'm awesome. <laughs> all right. I'm going to, I'm going to turn the tables. Tim, you have, why don't you ask us a question? Ooh. Oh man. Dun, dun, dun. Oh wow. <laughs> so, okay. Travis, what is oh. probably like, if you go to the range and you practice, which I know you do, and I know you and Nancy practice a lot too, you know, with, uh, with Steph and, and, and Nancy, you know, with your husband too, you guys get together and practice and shoot matches and stuff all the time. What is one thing that you're focused on right now in your practice as you've been, as you're ramping up for the 2020 season? What's um, one thing you would love to improve probably more than anything else you do right now? What was I going to work on today? Um, getting up and getting, all right, uh, movement from position to position. Okay. I've got the reloads down. I've, my reloads are up pretty well on speed. It's it's getting getting up once I'm done with the reload and getting up on target. Okay. Yeah. So entry, entry into a position would be, would be a good definition of it. Okay. Nancy, how about you? Uh, mine is is all exactly what we were just saying. Shooting with with your eyes, calling every shot, shooting the process. Boom. Um, next level um, would be if if I shut if I set up a, a three targets and did like a transition drill, mm -hmm. I can do the one two three four five six one two three four five six. Um, then I go to a, a match and I'm doing my walkthrough and I'm still. One, two, three, four. You know what I mean? I'm not one, taking two, that. Yes, one, two, exactly. One, two. I, yeah. yeah, I can't take that train of thought in shooting a, a smooth array into a stage. Okay. Does that make sense? Yep, it totally um, makes sense. You're still yeah. trying to address each target as yes. two shots, two shots, two shots, instead of addressing an array exactly. or looking at the array. So I've got yeah. some good things that we're going to work on next weekend that I think will help break that cycle. And I'm also too concerned about where where to do a reload. Um, I remember hearing one podcast. It might have been yours. Were you talking about that one time? You were saying, forget where to do the reload. Just shoot what's more efficient, and, and the re reload will come in there. 
Yeah, that's because I shoot limited between so. Kenny and I, right? Yeah, yeah. And so sometimes yeah. you sometimes you're forced to do reloads where it may not necessarily be the most efficient place to reload, right? But sometimes that's that's the needed place to reload. So the problem is, is if you overthink it again, you're thinking about like I have to make this reload count right here, right? You're thinking again, you're putting that result ahead of just like no dummy. All yep. I need to do is just exit mag out of gun, put new mag in gun and continue on my process. The reload is what the reload is, period. Yeah. So I need so. to make my stage plan into a process. Good. Good. Yeah. And how about our how about our humble host here? What's what's one of the main things you've been working on or would like to see yourself improve one aspect of your shooting, let's say throughout, you know, over the next couple of months to really ramp up your season. Well, I want to throw two things in there, not just one. Okay. All right. So the first one will be um, shot calling Aha. and shooting on the move. And shot calling has been one of the hardest things for me to pick up, you know, because in my mind, what I look at is brown, sight on brown, pull, sight on brown, pull. But I can't literally tell you Alpha, Charlie, or Delta as I pull. Okay. But I can tell you I had my sights lined up and I saw brown. Okay. Know. Tim, now, that's one of the most wonderful things you ever shared with me, shot calling. I mean. Shot calling. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Let's see. We touched a base a little bit on that, obviously. I mean, you, there's so much ground to cover in, in my class over two days time that, I mean, we could literally spend two days working basically two full segments of just what I teach, you know, kind of what I cram into, you know, into a two day class of all things that if we just spent two days working on just two segments of it, it would, like, to me, it would be better suited. But unfortunately it's just because, you know, we've got time constraints and there's so much valuable information I want to share with everybody that, yeah, we're kind of limited to just, we're going to work on shot calling for about an hour, which is what we did uh, when you guys came to the class in, in Macon, Georgia last year. Um, but I know, based on like your success in, in starting to kind of get some of those aha moments from class last year. And then I know you and I have worked in, uh, in an online coaching, you know, one-on-one -on -one coaching kind of atmosphere um, over a few months throughout last year as well. And just being able to spend more time on your shot calling process. I mean, guys, just to let you know, like this woman like knocked it out of the park. Cause it went from like, I think I'm seeing things to, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 picking it up like out of six shots on a shot calling drill. I'm seeing three of them to like she's sending me pictures of targets that she's called as compared to targets that she's plotted because I do a call and plot drill and the targets she's plotted as well as the call, the shots that she's called and they're within like an inch of each other. You know, or she'd be like, well, I didn't quite see this one and it's two inches higher than what I, you know, what I actually called. And I'm thinking like, are, are you kidding me? Like you, <laughs> you found this level that like I, I attain sometimes, but like still it, it's just, it's fantastic, Aww. you know? And, and that's like to see you get that and really see the value in not just being able to call the shots, but how calling the shots then affect just about everything else we do. Like you can't speed up your transitions if you lose your ability to start calling shots. Yeah. You know, um, you can't shoot on the move. So this is perfect. You were talking about wanting to get better at shooting on the move and shot calling allows you 
to be able to shoot on the move much better. One works hand in hand with the other. It's not like, oh, God, I'm going to learn how to call shots and then I'm going to learn how to, you know, to shoot on the move. Man, you're never going to be able to shoot on the move efficiently or successfully until you are first capable of calling shots. You know, you're never going to be able to outrun your vision or learn what it's like to let go of your vision to shoot at a faster rate of speed until you're more aware of what shot calling is and 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 start to it doesn't necessarily need to you have to master it right because I'm still not a master of shot calling I don't think anybody is you know like I'm I spend every session whether I'm in practice whether I'm working with a student whether I'm working in a class environment I still spend every single time that I press a trigger I'm still focused on I want to be able to call that shot better so I, I don't think it's it's a lifelong journey you know, to, to, to being better and more capable to call shots. But man, I'll tell you what, like when I come, you know, when I'm really doing my ability to, to call shots, shooting on the move is easy, easy. Hmm. See, now, Transitioning year, the gun really fast is easy. You know, it yeah. just, because it's, again, you're, you're process minded. Last year I took a class and shot calling was part of that class. And I understood it then. Like I was, I was picking it up at the end of the segment of the shot calling process. But then when I came back home and went to the range and I was practicing, I was getting frustrated because what I thought I was seeing wasn't necessarily what was on paper, you know? So that happens, that happens very often. Yeah. So, so we, we start to lose a little confidence that way too, when that happens. Well, lose confidence, man. I, threw it out. I was like, man, forget this. I just stopped doing it. <laughs> so that's when I started re resorting to, okay, as long as I see Brown on the front sight post, every time I pull, I'm good. But I know that's not the right answer, but. Right. Well, and I, the thing is too, do you shoot? It doesn't even matter. That's, that's a stupid question for me to ask whether you shoot major or minor power factor, right? If you're just seeing Brown and, and pressing the trigger, the problem is, I mean, even if you're shooting major power factor, you know, and everybody was like, ah, oh, you want to shoot major if you can, because points, points are everything. Right. But the guys at the top of the sport aren't shooting, you know, 85% alphas and, you know, 15% Charlie's, you know, they're still shooting 98% of available points, you know, with an occasional Charlie or two that they've probably called, but they be, because they've called it so quickly right? That they're allowing themselves a little bit of a fudge room to allow a slightly less accurate shot to keep the gun moving or to keep shooting at a faster rate of speed, right? But what they're not doing is they're not like, well, just it's, it's on Brown, right? You're sending the shots because then they're, they're they, well, they shouldn't be surprised if you go down range with the, with the RO at the end of your run, you know, and you hear alpha, Delta, Charlie, Delta two, Charlie, right? You shouldn't even be surprised at the number of deltas that they're going to call if you're trying to utilize that type of technique in like, oh, I just sights are on brown. I press the trigger. Right. I mean, and that's the thing you you need to focus on expecting a higher level of what you know you can accomplish. So in shot calling, it becomes at first like you're going to you're going to learn to try to call every shot. Hmm. Right. With, with acceptable results. And what I mean by acceptable, right? It doesn't need to necessarily be, I'm going to call this shot to 
a Nats ass, you know, like if I, if I called a center, absolute center hitting the little perforated letter a in the middle of that target, there better be a perfect hole in the center. It isn't about that. But if like, if my ability is I, out of six shots that I shot, if five of those I called are A's and one of them, I'm just not quite sure about if I go down and I look at the target, right. I should have five shots that I'm very confident are either A's or very close Charlie's. And in that one that I'm just not quite sure about, you might be a little surprised if it's an alpha or you wouldn't be surprised if you found out it was a really, let's say a low left Charlie or a far left Delta, right? Because something about that process changed or something you saw was different about that one particular shot. So as you get more comfortable and more confident calling shots, you'll tend to call less good shots because you shoot more good shots. So then the shot calling process is about, it becomes more than about how many bad shots did I call? Or was I able to call a hundred percent of the bad ones, right? So if I got too aggressive on the trigger and I watched the sights dip right before the sights lifted and recoil, if I was cognizant of that, I, that I should know, yep, that that's not going to be a good called shot, right? Mm. So then your ability becomes then I need to make a makeup shot on that in a stage. So your makeup shot or your correction to that almost becomes instantaneous because you're used to seeing the sights lift and return the same way every single time for all the good ones. So what's going to stand out then is when something isn't the same. So then your ability becomes, I need to make sure I'm calling all the bad shots. What did, what, what got let go of in the process of shooting that caused that errant shot and how do I correct it? Or did I catch that errant shot so that I can correct it? Right. So like my, my ability to call good shots, a, a shots, a shots, a shot. But what the difference is, is when I call a bad shot, I know I call a bad shot because something else was different about that because I shoot so many good shots in practice or it matches. Right. Or ex when I say good, I don't mean perfect. They're acceptable. Hmm. Right. Versus that was a completely unacceptable trigger pull. Like I didn't even see the sights when I yanked the trigger or man, I didn't even have a good grip on the gun. When I yanked the trigger, I didn't even see where the sights were at. That's the shot you should be aware of to send another shot to make it up and fix it. And that's, right. that's shot calling. That's what shot calling will become. Well, I need to practice more on that. So Travis, when we start Sunday morning sessions, oh, yeah. shot calling in there. <laughs> shot calling. I don't have any makeup. I don't have bullets to make up anything. You better <laughs> Oh, my bullets are gone. What are <laughs> it, and the, the number one thing with shot calling is first, you have to be aware of what it's like to not, to not move your eyes, not close your eyes, not shift your vision or anything like that. You first have to be aware of what the gun tells you about itself as the sights begin to lift in recoil as the shot's fired. Does that make sense? Correct. So like if, you, if you're seeing a perfect sight picture, but then when you yank the trigger, you're either flinching or, or blinking your eyes or and something is keeping you or breaking that focus of being able to see the moment at which the sights begin to lift, you're never going to be able to call shots until you can, can get through that process without flinching or breaking your vision down or, you know, taking your, you're taking your attention away from that moment. 
because that's the most important moment in shooting a firearm is what did the sights look like at the moment they fired? Not the moment right before they fired. That's important too. But the moment, the absolute moment, click, bang, and the front sight just beginning to start to lift and recoil. Now, the last time I went to the range and I practiced shot calling, Mm -hmm. And what I did was, you know, I used the shot up target and then put a clean target on the backside of it. Uh And what I thought I was shooting necessarily wasn't. So, of course, when I was going slow and taking my time, you know, I'm looking at the sights and, okay, I know that's Charlie. I know that's Alpha. But now once I, okay, I'm going to put a three second part time on there and I'm going to try to knock off three shots. Okay. So now when I do that, what I thought was Alpha Charlie or two Alphas, a Charlie or two Charlies and an Alpha, man, it turned out to be like two Charlie Delta or Alpha Charlie Delta. It was like all over the place. Okay. But but then again, I already know for a fact, if you put speed into it, your accuracy is going to go down. Ah. <laughs> so, no, I do understand big, that and I big, do know that. Big misconception. Okay. Speed is, accuracy is a little bit relative to the amount of speed that you that you envelop in things, right? But there's ways to gain leverage against on the gun or to gain an advantage on the gun. And that comes in your ability to grip the gun first and foremost and to maintain a consistent level of grip pressures on the pistol, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody kind of thinks that grip is all in an effort to mitigate recoil, right? The faster I can return the sights to the same point of aim, that, that means that my grip is really rock solid and that's all the grip is getting me. And it's not. Grip, first and foremost, allows you, gives you advantage or gives you leverage on the gun so that as you start to press the trigger with a more accelerated trigger press or a more accelerated pull, or even if you get greedy and you you slap the heck out of it, right? Having substantial grip pressure on the gun holds the sight still so that you're not a, you're not influencing the sights to shift directions based on the input that you're giving to the trigger. And that's where most people's accuracy starts to fall apart when they start to apply speed to the equation is because they're trying to apply speed in the wrong areas and they're trying to round, basically they're trying to like round the wrong corners off, right? So most people think like, oh, well, speed speed, my accuracy is relative to my speed, which it is to a degree, right? But if I'm doing my part to, again, grip the gun and manage the sight pictures to an acceptable level, the the the, the accuracy will still remain or still be extremely acceptable, even at a higher rate of speed. What typically happens is when people start to go fast, they let go of their vision first and foremost. So they're not aware of where the sights were once they started to kind of yank through that trigger. The other thing is, is because they probably didn't have adequate grip pressures on the gun to begin with. The moment they start to accelerate pressure on the trigger faster, they're not cognizant of any sight movement based on that because they're just doing the same thing they always do. So that tells me that while when you're focused on the trigger press, you're probably not gripping the gun hard enough to begin with to counter or to or to mitigate any movement in the gun while you're pressing the trigger. That's the the key ingredient of what why grip is so important. Isn't to mitigate recoil. It's to mitigate any steerage 
or any input to the sites while you're pressing the trigger. Hmm. Okay. That's well, awesome. there it is. My yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. Exactly. All right. So now we already know that um, you're coming to Augusta, Georgia at mm -hmm. Pine Tucky Gun Club on 7 through 8 March. So yep. yes. Nancy and Travis, can y'all give um, a little bit more contact information in regards to this class? Oh, go ahead, Nancy. Yeah, so say you can contact either one of us. I'm the one kind of collecting the money. They can contact me on Facebook, Nancy Grunet, or uh, call me 803-206-1708 or email me eapnancy at bellsouth.net. I'm right. just the face of the organization. He's, yeah. <laughs> He's the pretty face. He's the pretty, I'm the pretty face. face bringing this together. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Tim. No. <laughs> All right. So now, Tim, um, when you give this class, what can the students expect from your instruction? Um, and, and I would, I really hope that um, that Nancy and Travis both agree with this. I think more than anything, the thing I think I take the single greatest pride on is the level of individual feedback and individual instruction to each student in the class. So even though the class is set up, uh, you know, and the curriculum is set up to be able to, to, to hold, hold the attention span and hold the shooting line to um, a maximum of 12 to 13 students in a class, um, I, think the, I think the level of individualized attention that each student gets one-on-one uh, -on -one time with me, I think is probably unrivaled in any other type of, of, of instructor or shooting class or anything, probably in the country. Um, I agree. And I would, I, like I said, I, I, I think I could rest my laurels and stand behind that one hundred percent. Like, I don't think anybody out there is, uh, is providing the level of individualized feedback and input. Um, students can, first of all, they can expect they're going to get, you're, you're going to shoot. It's probably not as much as a lot of people think. So I think a lot of people have kind of put two and two together and think, oh man, it's a two day class. I'm going to shoot a thousand or 1500 rounds. My class isn't about just rounds down range for the sake of rounds down range. Um, I think that's a huge waste of time and it's a very inefficient way of training. Um, students can expect to learn from absolute second one of the first day of class how to begin to self-critique, self-assess, self-diagnose, and then learn to start applying solutions to issues or, or deficiencies that they see to make them a better, a better overseer of their own practice session so that they know, man, when I start to see this pattern or I start to see this issue, ah, I know how to correct that. You know, this is what's causing it. And this is what, this is what the, the, the correction is for it. Um, everybody's going to get, going to shoot, uh, like a, a 30 to 32 round field course of fire. Um, we revisit that stage three times throughout the weekend. So it's not about like a, a rote, we're going to repeat this stage over and over and over again. And that's how you're going to see results. Right. So we literally, we only visit the stage once on the first day on Saturday morning. And that's simply for me to get an assessment of every individual student's, um, like what their what their strengths and what their weaknesses are so that I can begin to tailor the lesson plan to make sure I'm hitting the individual points for every student. So like, again, this isn't just a rote, like we're going to stand on the line and we're all going to do the same drill for the sake of doing the drill. 
right? It's so that I can individualize the instruction. If I see something that Travis is struggling with, but it's something that Nancy seems to get pretty well, but I see something else that maybe Nancy needs a little bit more work or attention with that maybe Travis doesn't necessarily mean, I don't need to slow the entire class down for the sake of making sure that one or two people get a certain thing or that one or two people have to be overlooked for the sake of the flow of the class. Everybody gets gets the attention that they need for the the skill levels that I know or that they know and I that we both agree on beginning a class that really need to improve. Hmm. Okay. So, so now how can the people actually contact you in regards to taking a class or just asking you a question or hitting you up for a service you provide? Oh yeah. Um, so the best way to get a hold of me is through my email and it's Tim at Tim Um, Tim is my website. It's got uh, a full calendar of, uh, of scheduled classes that I've got all over the country. Um, and class dates and things like that. I try to keep up to date too with, uh, with being able to inform students or potential students or clients that, you know, whether or not that class is sold out or whether there's seats, there's still seats available um, for particular classes. Um, I also list uh, my full course curriculum, um, you know, what you can expect in the class, the number of rounds you're going to shoot in the class, kind of what to expect throughout a, a weekend time together, um, and what other offerings I have too, whether it be online uh, private coaching, whether it be one-on-one actual face-to-face coaching, like, you know, secondary to a, a two-day class that I might be brought in for, um, and, and, and all kinds of good information there. But uh, Tim at TimHeronShooting.com is my my personal email, um, and that, that stuff gets right to me, and I try to answer within 24 hours um, and, and make sure your questions are, are, are answered. Um, you can also get with me through uh, Tim Heron uh, on Facebook or Tim Heron Shooting on Facebook. Um, I also uh, co-host uh, with uh, two of my my best pals, uh, Eric Steiner and Kenny Platt, with the uh, the Make Ready podcast, um, and it, which is also a, a USPSA and uh, IDPA a practical shooting uh, podcast. You know, uh, kind of revolves around practical shooting, um, and uh, so you can ask questions there, and and we provide answers and stuff there too. I've also got an Instagram channel, which is Tim Aaron Shooting, and as well as a YouTube channel. And I try to keep content on YouTube too, to more instructional stuff, uh, how to kind of things. Sometimes I'll do some, some exhibition shooting trick shots, kind of cool stuff like that to, to kind of keep people coming back for more. Hey, that's it right there. Well, I'll um, tell you what I missed out on. Now, David's that? not here today. David, David's not in this site because I think it would have been great for Tim to say that he had been on a podcast with a good open shooter. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, panda panda lost to him. I mean, big time. <laughs> you know, David buried him. You know, <laughs> so wow. bring it awesome. out the heat. Bring it out the heat. So going around the room right now, uh Travis, you have any last words you want to say? I don't. Come on out, meet Tim. Deal with me. You know. It's a win-win. Get to hear me be comical and jokey and stuff like that, but no, get on out of the class. It's worth it. We'll be at Pine Tucky. We'll be at the rifle range, um, and you know how to get hold of Nancy or I. Yep. All right, right, Nancy, last words? Oh, I'm just looking forward to next weekend. Okay. Hey, that's it. Tim, you have any last words? I'm looking forward to next weekend, too. Um, you know, I'm just as excited to come and teach classes as people are, I think, to come and take classes as, as students. Uh, like, 
Like I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't absolutely positively love what I'm doing um, and didn't believe in it. So uh, yeah, come and come and see me at class. I believe there's a, just a, what, just a, a limited available seats left um, for the Augusta class. Um, I'm going to be all over the country though, uh, including Alaska um, for a couple of weeks in June. Um, this year really um, has been remarkable. Uh, like I filled the, my 2020 schedule before we even got into 2020. And I'm actually starting to take dates now for classes for 2021, uh, which is just, I mean, to, for this to have happened it, basically in just a year's time, I, I couldn't do this honestly without people like Nancy and Travis and folks that have like not only just taken a class with me, but maybe they hosted me for the first time last year that, you know, a lot of classes are repeat classes, uh, you know, where I get to like repeat, uh, schedulings, um, you know, to ranges I got to visit last year that because they apparently enjoy, <laughs> enjoy and believe in what I, what it is I do as well. And I'm glad to come back and it's, it's awesome. So we're really hoping we can, we can make, uh, this Pine Techie class, uh, uh, an annual offering Oh yeah, as yeah. well. So I've got three people through a girl in the gun who said they're going to come next year. If you'll come. So. Oh, yep. I would love to. Yeah, I would love to. You'll have a better host next year. I'll be better at this because I. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You guys Nancy, know. Nancy saved my ass so many times. It was no, ridiculous. You guys have done. <laughs> you guys have done fantastic, and I know it is a lot of work. You know. Well, I mean, you gotta set up. I can't. I can't come help set up. I gotta work. So. He's you know, you me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there we have it. We have the Pontucky crew led by Nancy Grunet and my man Travis. <laughs> who is hosting Tim Heron's two-day practical performance class. Once again, I want to thank all three of y'all for coming on to the M-W Tactical Podcast. And do know, y'all have an open invitation to come back on to the podcast anytime you like. Awesome. Awesome. Thank awesome. you so much. Thank you. All right. No problem. So we will take a, a short break, and here are some words from our sponsors. What's up, good people? Thank you for taking the time and listening to the M-W Tactical Podcast. Please, go visit the M-W Tactical store at www.m-wtactical.com forward slash store and help support our efforts by purchasing a shirt or two. If you haven't done so, go follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for M-W Tactical. Hey, this is Brian Conley at Hunter's HD Gold. If you've never tried Hunter's HD Gold, then I challenge you to find me at a match next year. Go to the website under scheduled events, find out where I'm going to be. Come meet me in person and demo a pair for yourself. Find out why shooters across the United States are changing to Hunter's HD Gold to get 43% more light to their eyes, better contrast, eyes that are not fatigued at the end of the day based on the, the colors that we use, and find out the real meaning of why they change so you don't have to. So check us out on our website, huntershdgold.com, and I look forward to seeing you at the range soon. The Gun Cleaners. Our solvent is, I think, second to none. Our lube is second to none. Their lube's heavier than water, which is just a huge thing. People don't really put a lot of thought into that, just how huge that is to have on your gun, especially if you can still carry. The gun cleaners. Oh, yeah, most definitely. You know, you're going to sweat a lot of the other lubes off. With ours, it'll stay there. The gun cleaners. 
and maintaining the quality of the process, the quality of the end result is another, and you guys are able to do both with the process that you have there. Order your supply of the lube and the solvent at www.theguncleaners.com. Thank you for taking the time to hang out with us on the M-W Tactical Podcast. Remember, a new podcast comes out every Tuesday. If you cannot wait for Tuesday, go and listen to past episodes to catch up on what you missed. Make sure you visit www.m-wtactical.com and see what all is offered on the site where you can't even purchase M-W Tactical Apparel. But please go to our Facebook and Instagram page and follow us on our journey in the sport of competition shooting and the realm of the 2A community. Until next week, keep shooting, keep practicing, and have fun.